1: You're listening to Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact Theory. Impact, Impact, baby! Hey, everyone, welcome to Impact Theory. Today's guest is a New York Times bestselling author who is challenging some of our most fundamental notions of what it means to be a conscious being. She is an editor and consultant for many esteemed science writers, and she specializes in making the notoriously difficult to comprehend topics of neuroscience and physics accessible to the masses. Her writing has not only appeared on bookshelves far and wide but it has also been featured by some of the most prestigious outlets in the world including the New York Times. From best-selling author Adam Grant to theoretical physicist Sean Carroll, some of the brightest minds on the planet have publicly championed her work. Her ideas, and her uncanny ability to explain hard things well. So well, in fact, that in addition to her groundbreaking work for adults, she's written a very well-received children's book called I Wonder and collaborated with Susan Kaiser Greenland on mindful games activity cards. She also teaches mindfulness to students in the inner kids organization and has taught her techniques to children as young as four and a half years old. Talk about making things accessible. So please, Help me in welcoming the author of Conscious: A Brief Guide to the Fundamental Mystery of the Mind, Annika Harris. What is up? Welcome. Good to see you as well. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. I am as awe inspired by the topics that you cover as you are. What is would you say your most sort of awe inspiring insight into the human mind?
0: Hmm, um, you know, I think, I think the, just the simple insight that consciousness is as mysterious as it turns out to be um, is to me the most awe-inspiring piece and it's really the reason I wrote the book. I and mean, there are many reasons, but, but the main reason was really um, to share this sense of inspiration and awe at um, just how mysterious consciousness is. Um, and many people actually don't realize that it's one of the great enduring mysteries. So we're all kind of familiar with looking out into the cosmos and wondering about black holes and the beginning of the universe. Um, and is there life, you know, on other planets? And and these things are, are naturally awe-inspiring. Um, and many people don't realize actually that that consciousness is on, in some ways, on equal footing with the, these other great mysteries. Um, but the difference is it's here with us in every moment. Um, and so the, there's actually this, um, this great mystery, this great awe-inspiring mystery that's with us um, in, in every moment kind of to, to be, to be um, revelled at and to.
1: Why do you think um, so many people miss it?
0: I think part of the reason is that neuroscience has made so much progress um, that I think most people think some scientist understands it or if they don't quite understand it they'll understand it soon Mm. Um, and i think part of it is just that it's it's kind of something we take for granted i think we have always assumed um i think you know in, in modern times since we've had modern science we've always assumed that um consciousness is analogous to something like a light bulb where um it seems miraculous to flip a switch and and suddenly a room is flooded with light Um, But but once you understand the details once you understand electricity um, and the mechanics of a light bulb um, It's something you can understand. It's not it's not really mysterious Mm. Um, And I think people a lot of people have assumed that consciousness is analogous to that um, And there I think there are many reasons why that that analogy actually doesn't hold Um,
1: so if the analogy of it being like a light bulb doesn't hold like Mm. where do you go from there and Mm. you've always been very careful to define consciousness and while i hate to ask you to repeat yourself we we probably should yeah
0: yeah no i'm glad you brought that up so the way i'm using the word consciousness people use the word in in a variety of ways and um often it it makes it a confusing term Um, and actually the the best term i think is is experience to really point to the most fundamental sense of consciousness that I'm talking about and that my book is about and that I think is mysterious. Um, So consciousness simply being experience, whether um, there is something that it's like to be um, a collection of atoms in the universe. So we we often forget that that, um, it's literally true that we are stardust. We are made Mm. of the same ingredients of of everything else in the universe. Um, And there's this magical fact that when matter gets configured in, in a certain way, Um, It lights up from the inside that suddenly there's something that it's like to be that matter And so many people use the word consciousness to kind of talk about higher-order reasoning um, self-awareness things like that Um, But I'm using it in the most in the most fundamental sense simply Having an experience simply um, there's something it's like to use Thomas Nagel's um, Definition he, he wrote a famous essay called what is it like to be a bat? Um, and in that essay he he says um, an organism is conscious if there's something that it's like to be that organism and some people have a hard time with that Terminology, but for me that really kind of gets gets to the core of, of this simple definition mm. of consciousness and why, why it's mysterious
1: One thing you're you've been very careful um, to talk about as well And this is where I first went so I, I dive into the book. I'm super interested. I'm, yeah I'm with you like let's talk about it. Yeah, and as you started explaining it. I found myself conflating the notion of being conscious with high level cognition. Right. And so I was like, wow, like how, as, as you got into the, some of the more like esoteric Panpsychism—that maybe um, mm. this is all a field like gravity—that consciousness just sort of is. It exists, and from that thing spring forward, which is fucking fascinating, and we will for sure talk about that. But
0: well, I would emphasize maybe too.
1: <laughs> yeah, great. Point. No, and I,
0: I'm, I'm completely open to it. But I, yeah, I, I like to be clear that we really don't know, and I, I, I'm not advocating that view. I just think it, it's actually it's worth it's worth exploring, and we should be open to it. But no question. Sorry, I, and one of-
1: thing I hope that we get to at some yeah. point is. The very fact that, that it shouldn't be off limits to talk about these mm. crazy ideas and the mm. fact that this is like career suicide for so many people is just so yes. weird to me. Yes. But before we derail on that, so yeah. teasing out the two concepts I think is super important because people yes. will not be able to get into the joys of this mystery mm. if they think what they're being asked to contemplate is mm. that a rock has um, high level cognition because right. then they, they can't separate. Because my, yes. my biggest argument is always When someone starts talking in a way that makes it sound like you're saying there's essentially a soul or whatever, I'm like Phineas Gage, homie. Like, and Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you know well the story of Phineas Gage.
0: I actually don't know that.
1: So (laughs) Phineas Gage, this is um, this is so interesting. This is one of my favorite. You talk about so many examples in the book. It'll immediately be familiar. Just another one of those. Yes. But um, Phineas Gage was a railroad worker who hit a tamping rod. Oh yes, of course. Yes, yeah. And he lost like some crazy amount, like a teacups, teacups worth of brain matter, but yes. never loses consciousness, yes. but forever is different. And yes. they say he went from like the most likable guy ever to like a total asshole. He could not hold a job. Yes. And it's just like,
0: yeah, is no, it the same no.
1: guy? Like the only thing that happened was damage to the brain.
0: Yes, It's fascinating that um, we have this intuition somehow that this isn't the case, but of course we know that. Our experience, um, our conscious experience in this moment, and all of the content that's flooding in through this experience, is a result of brain processing. And if you change the brain, the experience changes. The thoughts change. The feelings change. It's, it's, um, it's all correlated. I feel like you, you had um, a question that you were getting at um, when you brought well, that example up that I wanted to answer. I felt like it was a good question. So
1: what I want to, when, whenever somebody starts talking about um, Hey, there there is there is something inside of me that isn't my body. Mm. And there's great mm. comfort mm. in that for them. Mm. Mm-hmm. And as somebody who, mm. who literally my mission in life is yeah. to get people to Get control of their conscious yeah. thoughts. Okay. Maybe even reprogram some of the default mode network, uh-huh. which we should talk about that uh-huh. as well. Uh-huh. But, like, so my mission in life, if I'm really going to put it in like sort of deep biological terms, is to get people to rewire their default mode network so their very sense of self is more productive. Right. So that their identity, their beliefs, their yes. value systems right. at a neurological level, so that they're getting like yeah. this neurochemical response that drives them towards something effective right yeah. so you can get a neurological response that drives you towards destructive behavior mm-hmm. or you can retrain things and and be going in a positive direction okay so right yeah if and we, i realized
0: it, yeah sorry i just realized please. now that the the distinction you wanted to make was between consciousness in this very fundamental sense that I'm using it in the book, and complex thought. Correct. Um, and that we have to be very careful to um, not conflate them, that, that we must distinguish between the two um, for many reasons, uh, even in a, in a human sense. We know that babies, at some point, the people can argue about where it comes in, but at some point, a baby um, that does not have language and who is not having the types of thoughts you and I are having or thinking through anything complicated at all... Um, is having a conscious experience. And then, of course, you can go through the animal kingdom and people tend to agree and disagree the the more simple the creature gets. But at a pretty simple level, even you know, a mouse, um, something like that, um, most of us and most neuroscientists would say, yes, a mouse is having some kind of experience. It is it's not an unconscious zombie or robot, you know, we we know that their brains are similar enough to ours that they're having some type of experience. Um, And then in in some of this work, we can start to postulate how far down an experience actually goes. Um, And so when we do that, it's very important to distinguish consciousness, just the fact of experience, from complex thought or mind or or anything like that. That it's mm. it's certainly possible to imagine and feasible to to postulate a, a scientific understanding of experience in a very, very minimal form.
1: Yeah, so that notion of experience, how much of that do you feel requires uh, a recognized experience? So mm. by recognized mm. experience, I mean so you you've said very clearly that. Um, hey, look! This whole notion of panpsychism, where uh, essentially consciousness may be a field like gravity, and that things spring up through it. If that is um, real, then there are, uh, maybe this is like sort of little minds coming together, and, and I'll let you explain that far better than I can. And that we we can get these um, collaborations between these, which will change the nature of the consciousness. But what? I want to tease out is like, okay, if there isn't a light switch moment where something either Mm. is or isn't conscious, Mm -hmm. there definitely seems to be the quality of that experience changes dramatically, sure. and so when I think yeah. about if So I'll, I'll stay in, in terms maybe I understand a little bit better, so if I think I, of I,
0: I just want to ask a question to see if you're Please. getting at something that, that comes up a lot, which I think is an interesting question, which is more kind of the meta level, like an awareness of being aware, in a sense, part of what consciousness is. Yes. Is, is that your question? Precisely. Okay. Um, so I would say no. <laughs> Um, I think that there's a purer and more basic form of consciousness that does not necessarily entail an awareness of consciousness itself. Mm. And I think e- even within you know, life as we know it in the animal kingdom, um, I think it's very likely that there are creatures, um, certain insects, things like that, where, where the brain um, processing is just not complex enough for that type of thinking to take place. Um, but that doesn't mean there's no experience present and I think some scientists would, would argue with this But there, there are definitely en- enough of them that would agree with me that there is um, The fact of experience needn't entail anything more than just whether there's there's something, it's like so. I I often will use the example of a worm. We don't know if worms are conscious or not. This is um, not something neuroscientists have a have a consensus on. But you can imagine it's not that hard for us to imagine that you know, worms slithering aclo- across the ground has this very very minimal experience, and it either is or it isn't, right? So there is something about consciousness where you can say um, it, it's it is binary in a sense, even though there's this spectrum once you get on the spectrum um, where there, the content can grow and get more and more complex. Um, but as soon as you get to the end of that spectrum at its most simple form and then drop off of it, you're, you're talking about no experience at all. So when we talk about rocks, um, whether or not we're right, we most, most of us assume there's nothing that it's like to be a rock. There's no experience present there at all. But we could imagine that a worm um, has some felt experience of the, its skin against the ground, of cold and warm, of you know, temperature changing, pressure changing, something incredibly minimal. Um, and so it's not at all easy to rule out in a case like that. Um, and in that case, you wouldn't have this kind of meta-awareness.
1: Mm. So now getting into that, there's one question that I want to explore, which I'm not even sure how to think of this. So okay. um, at some point, where does it go from just it's fascinating to think about to this really matters? Mm. And is that is there a line in there where you're drawn to this because you really think that it matters, like yeah. with AI and things mm-hmm. like that? Or is it just pure fascination?
0: It's definitely both. So I would just start with the... the the simple fact, and this is really um, my my reasons behind wanting to to write a book about this, are kind of split down the middle between these two things as well. So first, it's it's a little bit like what I, I was talking about before, just um, the fact that being aware, be, having more understanding of not just how mysterious consciousness is, but the specific ways that it's mysterious, mm. um, I actually think can bring a lot of, of joy um, to our lives, just in, in the form of awe um, and inspiration of that kind. Um, but I know I, I am a scientist at heart, even though I'm not a trained scientist, and I really believe we can get a better understanding of consciousness. I think it's possible we'll never really be able, we're, it's, you know, human brain is not designed to understand the, the fundamental nature of reality and we may not be able to get there, but um, I'm optimistic that we can. And I think um, in order for this work to get done, one, we have to be willing to have the conversation. That touches a little bit on, on what you wanted to talk about um, with it being kind of a taboo subject once you start mm-hmm. postulating some some more far out ideas. So this, this actually brings me to um, the focus of my book, which is at its core, challenging our intuitions. Mm-hmm and challenging intuitions is a very important part of the scientific process. Um, so so the short answer to your question is, um, I think it's wonderful for human beings to contemplate in the same way that it's good for us to contemplate all of the mysteries. I, I also think that mysteries are, are really uniting. When all of humanity is facing something that they don't understand, I actually think there's something really beautiful about that and it really connects us in, in a way. Um, and on the other side, I actually think we have a lot to learn and, I even think in some ways we've learned a lot through modern neuroscience that is so counterintuitive that we have not yet absorbed the implications of what we've already learned. And again, this is about challenging intuitions and how important this is in the scientific process. Um, so this is true in, in any time we gain new knowledge that's that's groundbreaking. Um, there always seems to be this period of time where we're wrestling with our intuitions um, in everything from when we finally understood that the earth is a sphere and not flat, um, to understanding the germ theory of disease, to understanding that space and time are warped by gravity. These are all things that when we discover them, when we encounter them, they're so counterintuitive. There's always this period of time when scientists are kind of wrestling with their intuitions before they can make progress. Um, Because when things are so counter to our intuitions, we have a hard time accepting them. And so you kind of have to be, face the same evidence over and over again and then kind of reshape your intuitions in order to think about the world in this new way so that the science mm-hmm. can progress. Um, and so I think we're at a place like that with consciousness right now. So I think it's, it's really important for us to be challenging our intuitions about consciousness. And that's really what, what my book does. And it begins um, with two questions that I think we have very strong intuitive answers um, For that, then I spend the rest of the book kind of picking apart to see to see where it takes us. What are those two intentions? <laughs> um, so they're related, but they're they're slightly different questions. The first one is: Is there evidence um, of consciousness in any system on the outside in the form of behavior or, or something else? So, um, in a human brain, in, in a human, and a cat, and a dog, is there something we can? point to from the outside, such as behavior, that will tell us conclusively that consciousness is present in that system. And most of us, myself included, have a very strong intuitive response to that, which is, yes, I'm, you know, I'm not sure what, they, what all of them are, what that list is, but I can come up with an easy example. Um, if I'm leaving for work in the morning and my daughter doesn't want me to go and she's crying and saying, mommy, don't go, I think that behavior to me is, is absolutely evidence that she's having an internal experience that Mm. she's conscious of her emotions and what she's going through and grief and you know all of that in that moment. Um, And so we all have this, and and I think this gets to the core of of our intuitions about consciousness and what we think it is and where we actually could be wrong. And I think um, while that's likely um, a a good way to test (laughs) if consciousness is present, I actually think there's a deeper sense in which that is actually not evidence at all. And we can we can kind of pick that apart through looking at different areas of neuroscience. And the second question is similar, um, which is, is consciousness doing anything? Um, is it serving a function? Is it driving our behavior? And again, all of us think, yes, of course, absolutely, I couldn't. There's so many things I couldn't do just, you know, in my daily life today, Think thinking through certain choices. Um, when we have a fear response to something, you know, running away from a dangerous situation, I, my car catches on fire and I run in the other direction. Um, we feel that consciousness is, is truly motivating so much of our behavior and that, that's the one that I think um, is, we now have, have modern neuroscience telling us that intuition is at least off, if not completely wrong. Um, And so you you need to go into that one (laughs) because some of the
1: examples you give in the book are crazy
0: town, right? Um, I should say also that when people first encounter these The the science that we have and also just the idea of messing with these intuitions. It can be uncomfortable and um, Some people don't like going down this path So I just like 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 to make a little disclaimer or uh, or to say that I think people can feel very out of control. And I mean, there's there's something jarring about learning that everything, the things that feel most true to you about reality are possibly not that not structured oh, that
1: way. Wait, wait till you explain delayed measurement, and people right. really lose their shit. Like yes. that's where it's going to get interesting. We're, <laughs> not, we're not even in the crazy stuff yet.
0: Right. Well, I guess that's why I'm saying this now <laughs> before we <laughs> before get Before you there.
1: drag me to deep but waters.
0: I, yeah, but uh, what I've what I've learned is that most people, if they're not excited about it to begin with. Spending a little time thinking about it, that there, there's a way to kind of come around to the other side where this actually um, is very freeing. That mm. looking, that, that, um, that upending some of these intuitions is actually, um, for lack of a better word, kind of uh, similar to a, a spiritual experience. There's a positive way to, mm. to view all of this, I should say.
1: Thousand percent. Uh, Okay, so this this part is really interesting for me. So what is some of the science that we can look at that says, mm-hmm. hey, our intuitions about how we think we are in control probably don't right. make sense. Yeah. And because what I, I want to put you and yeah. your idea in context, because yeah. people watching this probably don't realize you wrote a book of heresy. Like yes. <laughs> if you were an academic, you'd be lighting your career on fire. And the fact that you're talking about this, you've Mm. privately had people who just can absolutely not come out and talk about Mm. what you're talking about um, publicly saying, thank God somebody is talking about this because Mm. like you said, and this is is why I find your work so interesting, is we have to explore this. So whether or not it's right Right. is kind of irrelevant. We have to get outside of the box of our intuition, which the while I don't want to start here, the ultimate example of that to me is the delayed measurement experience mm-hmm. in physics, which freaks me out. I cannot tell you how many hours I've spent thinking <laughs> about the double slit experiment. Like, yeah. it's insane. Yeah. And it, that is a deeply spiritual moment for me where right. I go, whoa, I what do is not- going on here? My we face has do... the chills right now. Yeah. I don't understand something. Yes. So no, profoundly it's... fundamental that yeah. everything that I'm looking at in the world is yeah. not what I think yeah, it is. I don't
0: know what anything is anymore. A thousand percent. Right. So- I should say also just for, for your listeners and viewers that there are now some wonderful animations online that explain the double slit experiment if they, if they don't know what that is and they want to spend <laughs> the rest of their lives wondering <laughs> about it. Um, that it's, it's a hard one to explain, it's a hard one to grasp and now that we have YouTube videos it, it actually makes it a lot easier.
1: Um, yes. All right. Before we get there, there there are some sort of double-slit type things with the mind where binding comes into play Mm -hmm. and the conscious mind taking um, ownership of something that it actually didn't even know about Mm -hmm. until the very end. Mm -hmm. Walk people through some of that. Binding
0: is actually a great place to start. um, Just in understanding how the content of our conscious experience um, is really created by the brain in ways that that are... behind our intuitions where we wouldn't necessarily know. And, and binding is a phenomenon um, talked about in, in neuroscience. And David Eagleman is actually wonderful on this subject and he, he's written and, and given talks on the subject that are fascinating. Um, but simply, binding is really um, our brain's attempt um, and successful attempt at taking things that are happening in the real world Um, at different times and syncing them so that our present moment experience um, is is of things in the world happening at the same time where those signals to us are actually coming in at different times. So the example in my book I give is of playing tennis. So if you're playing tennis and you hit the ball with the racket, um, it seems like this is all happening in one moment. But the truth is the sound waves from the sound of the ball hitting the racket are traveling at a different speed. Um, than the light waves of the light bouncing off the ball and hitting our, our retina and then being processed by the brain. Um, and same with the sensory experience in your hand of feeling the ball hit the racket. Um, that's a much slower process than we're talking about. Um, the, um, your, your nervous system actually receiving signal through your arm. And, and our experience is that that all happens at the same time. But the truth is the sight came more quickly than the sound, and the sound came more quickly than than the physical sensation. And so there's a process that that we call binding, um, whereby all of these signals kind of get woven together in a in the present moment experience that, that gets delivered to to your conscious experience. Mm. Um, there are unconscious processes that that then cause you to ha- to have this experience. Um, there are brain disorders that can interrupt these processes too. Um, so, so there's something called agnosia. There are many different types of agnosia, um, but the, it's, it's a f- kind of a failure of the brain to, to do this type of, of binding for us. There's finger agnosia, where you cannot tell the difference between two of your fingers. Um, sights and sounds can get confused or not arrive
1: at the same time. Mm. There. Um, Have you read much so- about brosobagnosia? So it's like, it's where the person can, I see your eyes, oh God, your eyes are so familiar, your nose. But it's not coming together as a face for them. Yes. I often tease my wife that she has brosobagnosia because she can never recognize famous people. But like (laughs) to me- Is
0: that specifically for recognizing faces? It's the
1: face. Yeah. So brosobo is a Greek word for face. Right. Okay. Yes. And and I just, that was one of the first times where I began to realize, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. The brain has a lot of different regions. Like people- Yes. um, I don't know what this uh, disease is called. But certain brain trauma will lead leave somebody where they can't detect motion. So they see completely yes. normally, yes. but everything is a snapshot. Yes. So if they're pouring something, it just yeah. looks like frozen liquid, yeah. and then all of a sudden the cup is overflowing, and there's yeah. like the, the essentially refresh rate on yeah. their eyes is so slow yeah. that everything is just these like static still images.
0: Right. No, we're, we're taking a ton of unconscious brain processes for granted that we don't realize all of these things are... are Um, being woven together for us. There's something called disjunctive agnosia. It's similar to what you're talking about Mm. with the face, but these are, you know, objects in space. You can recognize all of the different parts. You can recognize the color, the shape, but you can't see it as an object. You can't recognize something as a cup. Um, There are even, you know, minor um, things that can happen where um, you can recognize something as a tool for eating with, but you don't know whether it's a spoon or a fork. Um, Anyway, so yeah, so so we could go on and on forever with. Let's go on a little longer (laughs) because there's there there are
1: more that you talk about in the book that I think are super important. Because where I want to get people, like my my whole like thesis in life is to get people to understand your brain is creating a a virtual world for you. You have mistaken this virtual world for the real world. Yes. And once you understand, we're talking about Umwelts here, homie. We're talking about you take the world in in a certain way, which is why the article by Nagel on what it's like to be a bat is so fascinating. It's asking you to step outside your own umwelt into something else's and say, how fundamentally different would this whole experience be? But what I really want people to understand, because this this was a huge breakthrough Mm -hmm. for me when Mm -hmm. I went from having a totally fixed mindset Mm -hmm. and I just thought, life is hopeless and Mm -hmm. I can't go where I want to go because I'm only so intelligent and I'm just not that bright. Mm -hmm. And so I'm stuck here and Mm -hmm. I spent a lot of time there. Mm -hmm. And then began to realize, Wait a second, I started reading about the brain. Mm. I was like, whoa, like the brain is cobbling shit together. Yeah. It's keeping me from bumping into too much stuff. Right. And for that I am grateful. <laughs> right. But ultimately, like there's a lot of lies being told to me mm. by this evolutionary machine. And mm. once I could begin mm. to mm. think through them and go, mm. oh whoa, like it's it's interpreting this, it's mm. interpreting that. What is it interpreting? that's creating an emotion for me that isn't helpful.
0: I think people also experience a lot of relief um, from this idea that they are responsible for all of that processing too. And so this gets into, um, when, when, I, when I talk about these examples in my book, I'm, I'm specifically talking about um, two illusions um, that I think inform our view of consciousness, which is why I spend a lot of time on them. Um, and one is this illusion of conscious will, um, and one is the illusion of being a self. And I think that that's one place that, that relates to a lot of the work that you do, um, because this false sense of a self is actually where a lot of human suffering comes from. And part of it is, is what I was just getting at, which is that we have this idea that, you know, even though we understand that we're brain processing, you know, at bottom, somehow we, I mean, we have this very strong intuition that there is a me that is separate from the brain processing. And um, there can be a lot of um, guilt and regret and, and things like this that come about because of kind of a false way of viewing um, what in fact we are and what our conscious experience is. So the, the notion of this, this self that somehow can override whatever the brain is doing or um, you know, make, make decisions somehow i mean it's funny it's an incoherent idea but we all have it very strongly and we kind of assume it's there um it's related to the notion of conscious will and i like to distinguish a
1: free will well i was just
0: going to say i like to distinguish conscious will from free will um, only because free will, um, by my definition, is m- a much more complex thing. And I, I, we could actually talk for a long time and I could explain why I think there's not much freedom in free will. <laughs> um, but that free will is, is something that in some sense I can agree that the, the brain has. It's, it's a complex processing system. It's responding to all kinds of stimuli and ideas and can, can change and mutate and, and, and make decisions as a processing Device, for lack of a better word, conscious will is the idea that consciousness is the thing that is that is the will. That consciousness is the will. So we have again, it's related to, to these questions that I that I ask in the beginning of my book: um, Is consciousness doing something? And we feel that consciousness is behind are willed actions when, in fact, there's a lot of neuroscience to suggest that it's, it's actually the reverse, that it's, that it's at the end, that all of this processing happens, a decision gets made, and then we're kind of the last to know. Um, mm. I have a chapter in my book called The Long for the Ride, um, which can also be distressing to, to people this when they one first I get hear why it. People get freaked out I, I this. get it too, actually. But in, ultimately, I actually think it's very freeing, and it doesn't mean you can't. So, so the brain is not in any way a closed system. Um, just because our conscious experience is of what the brain is doing um, doesn't mean at all that the brain is not influenced by ideas. Um, and, you know, it, it, and even in physical terms, as you said, you can, you can have a brain tumor that will dramatically alter what your conscious experience is. Um, but more importantly, um, for, for this type of discussion, you know, if I yelled and said, oh, that, that beam is about to fall on you, that's an idea that just gets communicated through language that suddenly changes your brain. So your brain is is a physical system, but my words, my ideas get in and it completely changes the structure of your brain so much that you're gonna jump up, <laughs> like I could get you to jump up just by transferring that information. The thing that I think is, is a true illusion is that consciousness comes first. And consciousness is, is again wrapped up in this idea of a self. So that there's this self that's kind of floating free from the material world somehow um, and is initiating everything that happens. And I think that is, a, is is a false view. And so we could talk about some of those studies. Um, the earlier ones are, are more controversial. The most recent ones are, are less, and I think are the most interesting, actually, the most recent study that I, I read about um, came out of Germany. And um, so, so most of these studies, I should say, basically show that um, at the level of the brain, scientists can see um, markers or activity that, can, that, that reveal to them you're about to make a decision or make a movement. Um, and before you have become conscious of it. Um, so the most recent study was um, subjects were in an fMRI. So an fMRI is an MRI that tracks blood flow. Um, and the subjects were given two numbers and then given a choice whether to add or subtract the numbers. And there's there's a special kind of clock that's almost like a secondhand going around um, a, a regular clock so that they can mark that what their, their job is to have the experience of, making a decision I'm going to add or I'm going to subtract, and know where on the clock that that decision happened. Um, and then they actually go, go ahead and do the math. Um, so through fMRI, um, neuroscientists were able to detect up to four seconds prior, Whoa. when not only, so they were able, because they could see, you know, different parts of the brain, they were able to detect different types of processing. They could tell when that person would make the decision and what, whether their decision was to add or subtract. <laughs> so that gives us a very different sense. And, and the truth is, a lot of neuroscience that comes to us is giving us this picture. We, 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 should, we should have digest, digested this a little bit more than, than we have already, that there is a sense in which we are kind of just experiencing life
1: and analysis. Visit the incredible brand that so many great investors use at yahoofinance.com. It's the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Once again, guys, head there now, yahoofinance.com. Play out. Um, I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> you, you did. I mean, look, this is, this is the exploration that I was hoping for. What becomes interesting to me in that is I think part of the reason that we haven't digested that more is what are you supposed to do with that? Mm. It's like some part yeah. of it is, okay, wait, it, they're, they're definitely like how, how does one make sense of this? Okay, yeah. I am literally, truly me, Tom Bilyeu. I am completely prepared to say that I am simply a chemical processing plant that runs on algorithms. I have no problem with that. Mm-hmm. But there does seem to be what I'll call the overwatch mechanism. Mm -hmm. There is some level of awareness, I'm Mm -hmm. sure my prefrontal cortex, some level of awareness that is watching things and saying um, it through, and and I'm very fine with, given where I was born and the things I've encountered and all of that, Mm -hmm. that it has built these beliefs. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I have sort of a default setting. But now once I have that thing, that thing can go in and make changes. So I have this sort of Overwatch algorithm processing machine that's been built up over my experiences, but it also has the ability to self-reflect and ask, Absolutely. based on my value system, which is changeable, by the way, based on my changeable value system, am I thinking about this in the right way, or do I want to change something? Sure. And it has the ability to change. Now, it has the ability to change. But
0: that's all. We're all still talking about the brain, the the, the yes. idea. And I think even the way you're describing it is partly... A shift in the way we tend to think about it, which is, there's a concrete self um, that is responsible for those changes, rather than it's all brain processing. Mm. And the the brain again is not is not static. It's not walled off from its environment. It is an ever changing, ever evolving, very complex system. It's the most complex thing we know of in the universe. Um, but that just the fact that we can absorb um, the idea that it is brain processing and that our experience of how that brain processing is functioning is not necessarily accurate. Um, I think is useful for letting go of some, um, I think deeply damaging psychological ways and patterns of thought that we can get ourselves into. Um, but also just on, on the science side and on the study of consciousness side, it can start to get us to see how human beings and brains in, in general are possibly not that different from other processing systems in terms of consciousness And talking about it opens other animals Other animals and beyond so it you know it opens up this window being onto AI? Yes, well beyond in both directions. So beyond as in plants. Um plants is something that I that I talk about yeah, in my so it's book crazy. in detail. <laughs>
1: it's crazy. Crazy. And, that they and recognize fascinating. their own children.
0: Right. And so actually the reason I brought up plants in the book was not because I think plants are conscious, although this all really makes you wonder. It was it was actually to makes you
1: make, start redefining things, no w- question.
0: Right. But it was for me it was actually to, to make the opposite argument, which is that this complex behavior that we see in plants, it's much more complex than we realized until we started Uh, studying it, um, is very closer to and more related to human behavior than we also previously realized. And now we know this is true it, um, mechanistically, too, so it, in terms of the DNA. Mm.
1: Um, Give people some examples. Okay,
0: so so just to, to go on this, this path, um, Daniel Chamovitz uh, wrote this book, What a Plant Knows, which I highly recommend, um, and he talks about um, this collection of genes that plants have um, that evolved so that they can sense whether they're in the light or in the dark. It's the same set of genes that we have um, for detecting light and dark. And then, of course, in us, it's much more complex, and it's they're related to circadian rhythms and, and all kinds of other things. Yeah. But um, so there, there are behaviors that are incredibly interesting. Um, I can I can talk a little bit about the underground tree have communication. To. This is so crazy. Um, I just want to make clear that the the, the larger point is. In my first question in my book when we're talking about behavior, behavior as evidence of consciousness, um, if we see this level of similarity in behavior in other systems, um, and it's very hard to get conclusive evidence of a system being conscious if it's not a human being who can speak and talk to you about it, um, we have to start to, to really ask the question, whether consciousness goes much deeper mm. than than we imagine, um, but I actually I brought up plants because I think it makes us um, it makes us second guess whether all of the behaviors we see in human beings that we say has to exist um, ha- sorry consciousness has to exist for them to be there um, if we don't need consciousness if plants don't need consciousness to exhibit s- similarly complex behaviors then we, we've, we've, we're, we could be thinking about things
1: wrong. Yeah, okay, this is interesting, and I want to go a little deeper on this. So one of the things you talk about in the book is that plants will preferentially send nutrients to seedlings that they know came from them versus other seedlings that they can actually read that somehow?
0: Yeah, this is, so these are specifically Douglas fir trees in, um, in Canada. Susan Samard has done some fantastic work and has a TED talk explaining some of his work. Um, she was studying the underground tree, um, intertree communication mostly facilitated through um, mycorrhizal networks, which are fungal networks, which is also incredibly fascinating, um, where they share carbon um, with different species of trees. And at, at some times of the year, um, you know, the Douglas fir needs more carbon, at another time of the year, another species may need, and they actually kind of send signals about when they, they're in need of carbon and, and share carbon. Um, but yes, then, so, so seedlings will, will start to grow, and some of them have come from these, you know, specific trees, some of them come from other trees, but there are ways that the, she calls them mother trees, can know which trees have sprouted from her own seedlings, which are her kin, and she will, I shouldn't say she, <laughs> um, but these mother trees will send more carbon to their own kin, they will send um, stronger defense signals. This is another thing that's actually interesting. I didn't mention that trees send defense signals to each other as well. If there's a you know poisonous thing that's growing in the area, they they will um, send uh, chemical signals that warn other trees of, of dangerous um, other dangerous species in in the area. They will send more of those signals to their own kin. They grow their roots differently, so they'll actually make more room for the roots of their kin. Um, all of these things that Um, to us would be behavior that gets described as psychological behavior Mm -hmm. um, and that we assume we need consciousness for. To put it very simply, I'm I'm making the point that you can't have it both ways. Um, That if we're going to use these behaviors in humans um, to be evidence of consciousness, we then have to question how far down it's going. And if not, which in some ways is a more interesting question, if not then what is it um, that's different about consciousness? If we are these systems that are kind of going along in the same way that plants are, so ivy IV is one thing that's actually very interesting um, to study. It changes its rate of growth and direction depending on something that it can, it can grow around and cling to. Um, if those types of processes don't require consciousness, maybe we're wrong in thinking that all of the complex behavior in humans requires consciousness and that there's, there's another explanation for it.
1: And what would that other explanation be? (laughs)
0: Uh, I mean, the the most likely one to me is um, that it's actually much more fundamental and that it goes...
1: That consciousness itself is a fundamental property of the universe. Yes. Okay. You said it
0: very well, yes. And
1: Um, now I want to talk about, so if it is a field like gravity, mm -hmm. how do we... Test that? Like how does one like right? Cause it at least breaking through our intuition to get to that insight then opens it up to being tested. Yes. Um, because that's one where it's like, okay, now I'm 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 so uneducated on this stuff, like I can't tell you one way or the other if this is plausible. Right. But my limited brain goes, Yeah, that's not possible. Right. No, me but, too. <laughs> but like me Yet too, which is why I keep something. saying
0: I'm split fifty-fifty on it. And one reason is I mean, my intuitions go so strongly against it. It's it's really through breaking through intuitions and following logistical pathways and talking to other scientists. So I should also say, that this idea that, that consciousness could be a, a fundamental feature of the universe, could be another, in a sense, another property of matter mm. um, that exists in all matter because it's just a fundamental property, so it exists. And, and again, to clearly distinguish consciousness from complex thought, yeah, yeah. The, these ideas in no way suggest that atoms or electrons have any kind of thoughts or plans or you know, anything human-like, they're nothing yeah. like a human. Um, I sometimes will say we, we, we wouldn't expect a rock to write a novel or to sing opera, that's not what atoms configured in that way do. Um, and if there is some level of experience associated with the atoms in a rock, we would not expect it to be anything like what we experience, it would be completely unrecognizable to us. Um, but all of this thinking falls under the umbrella term of panpsychism. Um, which is a term people should know because historically that's the term that's been used. I don't like the term. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> I get it. It's super woo-woo. It um, makes it I think, sound
0: like... I think from a scientific perspective, we can just simply work toward um, it not being taboo to ask these questions. So right. it should just be legitimate to ask the question, could we come up with a theory in which consciousness is fundamental because it's been so difficult, actually impossible to, to date, um, to come up with a... Theory of how complexity or how processes in the brain give rise to consciousness. Is it possible it was it was there to begin with?
1: Well, I'm definitely leading you down a garden path. So where I want to get to. So this is the moment in the book where if you hadn't set me up with something earlier, I would have been like, peace, Which I'm out. crazy, yeah. <laughs> um, it was <laughs> you talking about the delayed measurement experiment, oh, okay. and I thought, wait a second.
0: So, is this the first time you encountered that that thought experiment? Yes.
1: Okay. So, I knew about the double slit experiment. Okay. Yay! I was so blown away. My moment of awe, like right. just unbelievably cool to yes. think that that I could have existed this long and so fundamentally misunderstand the nature of things. Yeah. So that was cool. But then you took it to like a whole nother level.
0: Well, and by the way, physicists feel that way about it too. I mean, qu- quantum mechanics is something that is deeply mysterious. And a tremendous source of awe and mystery for anyone who finds that um, you know, inspiring and, and, and fueling. There, there's a lot now to read because you know progress is being made, but it's still something that, that is really dumbfounding to scientists as well.
1: So I think if you walk people through what the delayed measurement experiment is... Okay. Then, then It's, a, it's they will, been
0: a while. Hopefully I can do a good job. Well, because I just yeah. read your
1: book literally twice. Okay. So I will fill in any gaps okay. from your own work, okay. by the way, yeah. that you might not remember. But yeah. um, the, what it will do, I think, for anybody who's really listening, is make you go, oh, there are things I don't understand. Right. And once I'm in the realm of, oh, there are things I don't understand, then it is quite possible. Well, I can't grab it from an intuition standpoint... Yeah. Our greatest breakthroughs in science have always been the moment where you can shed your intuitions yes. and and really see the thing for what it is.
0: Yes. Um, so I think we should probably start with the double slit experiment yep. because many Perfect. people are not familiar with that. Um, and if you do show notes, I can I can supply some visuals that You're might amazing. might help because it's it is actually very difficult to to get just through a, mm-hmm. a person one person explaining it to another. But I'll, I'll do my best. Um, so light most people know um, it we our understanding is that it can act like a particle and it can act like a wave so there are photons um, which are the the individual particles of light um, which have wave-like properties and particle-like properties so so the experiment is set up um, very basically they're they're shooting um, photons one at a time um, at a screen and in between um, the, the photons that are being shot out and, and the screen are two slits um, and so if you were going to put through a continuous light source you would see a wave pattern on, on the other side. The light is kind of going through um, both slits and ha- ha- has a wave interference pattern. Um, I don't know if I need to explain more of that. It, but, that, but that will get very complicated, so, I think. So,
1: but imagine, think of so water and so, the way that so it is. So
0: normally, when you're, if you just have the screen there, you shoot the light through two slits, what you see when it gets recorded, if there's you know, photographic material that records um, these photons, you see um, uh, bar, bars where the photons have hit, um, where they're weakest or lightest at the edges. Um, but it looks as if you pushed water through these slits in mm. terms of how it gets recorded. Um, so there's, there's, a, there's, there's no th-
1: clean delineation between what slit it went through. There's just a whole pattern along the screen, that, which is not that what is, you'd that expect is a if wave, you were That shooting is a wave-like pattern.
0: So it has a pattern to it, but it's right. a pattern of a wave. So then it turns out that if you shoot one photon at a time, and you measure which slit each individual photon went through, you have a different pattern on the screen. And all of a sudden, it looks as if you are shooting individual pellets, and some of them go through the right side, and some of them go through the left side, and there's no interference pattern at all. They just form two slits.
1: Now, right Um, now, you've already given people enough to have their brain leaking out of their ears, so I want (laughs) to say it one more time to make sure people understand. You take these double slits. You shoot a single photon through it. Don't measure it you get yes. an interference pattern on the back as if you have pushed a wave through right. both slits. Yes. Now do the exact same thing again, but this time put a camera up, you know, whatever. Measure- measure measuring it, device. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's a single fucking photon. Right. That that's crazy. <laughs> that's one of those where I'm like, what? Yes. Yeah, so just watching it changes its properties. Right. Like that doesn't seem possible.
0: Right. So it's I, I would say it's measuring it rather than watching it. And, and some people have, have interpreted this in ways that I think are, um, we, we just, we simply don't know the answer. But, but some people have said it requires consciousness, which I don't think we have any evidence for that at all. Um, but clearly, some interaction with other matter in the room, um, whether consciousness is present or not, Absolutely has an effect and this is this is what quantum mechanics has, was born out of qu- quantum physics um, So there are many different interpretations uh, of these strange things that we see um, Many worlds is something that m- maybe some some of your audience has sort of string theory um, Has been around for longer, but they're there, you know, this is just scientists trying to to understand what what's going on here um, So the physicist John Wheeler um, proposed a thought experiment based on on this, um, based on the this experiment and the fact that we know that light. So there's a um, there's a phenomenon where light goes around a quasar and causes um, an illusion. I'm, I'm forgetting the term, but an, an illusion of.
1: I think it's gravitational lensing. Yes, the, yeah. thank you.
0: So if there's a quasar, and in between us and the quasar is a black hole, the the light will bend, and it will give the illusion to us that there are two quasars rather than than one, because the light bends and, and causes this, this illusion to take place. Um, his thought was, um, if we were to measure which side an individual photon, which side of that black hole the individual photon went around, um, that would change, that would essentially change the past. Um,
1: Because that thing's been traveling for millions of years. Yes.
0: So its path, right, takes place over millions of years. just by measuring it, will then give it a distinct location in the same way that it gives a distinct location by measuring it when it goes through the slits. But
1: millions of years ago, and so this that's was crazy,
0: right? So, in some sense, and we don't know how to explain this in terms of the fundamental nature of reality and whether this means there are, um, you know, endless copies of the universe and the universe kind of splits every time um, a quantum event happens. Um, whether there are many dimensions of space. I mean, this gets into string theory, which I, I'm not an expert on any of this. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm explaining it as best I can, but I, I, I'm not a physicist and, and probably shouldn't shouldn't be explaining <laughs> any of these um, experiments, but the implications um, and the results. So this was a thought experiment and then they actually were able to do the, the, mm. the experiment. So it was confirmed. Damn, um, that's
1: where I literally was taking notes in the book and I was like, this was confirmed experimentally? What? Yeah. Like, that, yeah. Th- this so there's there's
0: something we we do not fundamentally understand
1: fundamentally. Do not understand. We don't
0: understand about the fundamental nature of of matter and mm. what matter is and what light is and these are these are great mysteries.
1: So um, if when I when I really stop and think about like what the experience of consciousness is, what it would look like if we if panpsychism is true and there's sort of consciousness all the way down. Mm-hmm. What it it the question that it begs for me is, why is consciousness as an emergent property so problematic? why mm. Where do people get hung mm. up? Because in mm. my very limited mind, and I'm, yeah. I am very prepared to accept this is just ignorance on my part, but when I think about Basically, panpsychism would postulate something along the lines of, hey, you're getting all these low levels of consciousness, Mm -hmm, and as mm -hmm. they come together, their combinatorial effect is, um, it gives you some unique property, and that can manifest as a tree, it can manifest as a dolphin, as a human, it's different um, amounts of and different types of consciousness coming together, and different cell types and all that, so Mm. it's essentially purely a biological explanation how it manifests so differently but why do we have trouble mm. with the postulation that the human brain is- It's just an emergent is, phenomenon. Right, and, yeah. and that the, the, the lights coming on really does feel like a grayscale to me. Yeah. It does not feel like one moment there is and one moment there isn't. Like if you've ever seen, have you seen a baby, did you ever watch Blackfish, the documentary? No. Don't, it will hurt your heart in ways <laughs> okay. I can't explain. Okay. But I will give you one cool punchline. When they um, go to capture baby orcas, the pod is insanely intelligent about how they try to hide the babies because they know they want the babies. They already yeah, understand they that. Get that yeah. They like split up and yeah. like some swim high sure. and some swim low, trying to hide the baby. Yeah. So crazy. And then they stay and like scream and cry as they take the baby oh, away. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. so gut-wrenching. Yeah, I yeah. could not fucking believe it. So you, to your point about what evidence do we need to be like, oh my God, that's conscious. Right. I'm yeah. willing to say, yo, that's clearly conscious. So now let's slide down all the way. Yeah. We get to ants. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll be like, eh, there was... There was never a moment where it was yes no but right. there's definitely the qualitative estimation yeah. of what their experience is like yes. now now is so removed i don't really get it anymore and then sure it slides on into something i can't i can't comprehend right where does it blink out of existence i'm going to guess at a nervous system because right. there does seem some neat To detect pressure, you have to have some kind of cell that sends some kind of signal saying that I'm experiencing pressure at even like the most basic level. So to me, there it would seem. Yeah. And by all means, shut me down at the end. No, no, no. I mean, the the truth is
0: that many scientists have that exact intuition, and and I, I would say most scientists think that. Um, the the um, explaining it as, as a, an emergent phenomenon is the way to explain it, and in fact, Sean Carroll, the physicist um, who I just recently spoke with, that that's the way he would describe it. Um, there are there are a few reasons why there are problems with that. Um, what we, there are many ways I could take this at this point, and I know we're li- we're limited on time. Um, one issue is just the description of an, an emergent phenomenon in science, and. It, there are two things about it. One, it is, a, it is um, something that is observed from the outside, so it's a, an emergent um, property is a property that you can, you can quantify from the outside. Um, consciousness is part, partly what makes it so mysterious is that it has this internal character, that it's not something that can be viewed from the outside. Um, We didn't talk about locked-in syndrome, but but looking at someone with locked-in syndrome is is a good way to kind of jostle your intuitions. Um, Briefly, this is someone who had brain damage um, so that they're completely paralyzed, but it has not affected their their conscious or mental life really at all. So they have as full a conscious experience as you and I are having right now, um, are able to to think clearly, perceive everything, see things in the room, hear everything, but they're completely paralyzed. So they're, they're unable to communicate anything. Um, and the, the um, neuroscientist, Anil Seth, actually recently posted this, this picture that's very interesting, which is just the human nervous system without the rest of the body. Mm. And he said something to the effect of, this would be conscious um, if it were alive. And it looks like the roots of a tree, right? And I'm not saying it is, it's, it's a very different type of system, but the truth is we can't necessarily get information about a conscious experience always. So we assume, because we are complex creatures and we are, are, are conscious, we assume that it is a complex phenomenon and we assume that the more something is like us, the more likely it is to have consciousness. I think, I think that, that is an um, assumption that may or may not be true, but it's, it's really just an assumption. We have no evidence for that being the case. Um, and seeing someone in locked-in syndrome Tells you definitively. Um, I, I talk about um, the the writer Jean Dominique Bauby in my in my book. Um, he, uh, in this condition of locked-in syndrome, he was able to um, figure out a way to write. Um, his caretakers noticed that he he in fact actually had one um, point of mobility, which was his his eyelid. Um, he was able one. to control his Eye. eyelid, um, and many people in locked-in syndrome do not have this, but he happened to be able to move his eyelid, and so they figured out how he could type out the alphabet with certain ways of blinking and he literally wrote this beautiful book that was turned into a film um, in this state. So, but without that eye blinking, so this is a man who can write a book and can experience everything that's happening in his room and has no ability to communicate. So we, we certainly can't rely on communication and behavior to tell us how how, how um, possible it is that there's that there's consciousness there. But Emergence, so emergence is a is a physical phenomenon that can be witnessed from the outside, and it's a complex phenomenon. It comes out of complexity. And again, we have no evidence that consciousness is due to complexity. It very, way, it very well may be, and, I, and I, am, I am really split 50-50 on this, and the way you described it, um, I completely, my intuitions align there. And I think it's why we need to spend some time challenging our intuitions, because the, the evidence is actually not there. And there are many reasons to think and, and, and many reasons why explaining this mystery um, make the, there's a better path. there seems to be a better path to explaining it if it's a property that already exists in matter. Mm. Um, not sure how well I answered that question, but no, well, this whole but thing yes, I mean, is... your, your intuitions are, are the intuitions that that most people share, and many scientists share and Um, Yeah, it's the reason I I take the time to do as much as I can to undermine them in the book because I think those intuitions are likely leading us in the wrong direction. Um, And at the very least, we've gone in that direction all this time and we haven't gotten any closer (laughs) to understanding how it is that non-conscious matter, that these atoms in the universe um, that had, had no consciousness all of this time somehow come together in a way... It's, it's actually, when you look at the details, it's very hard to see how the addition of an experience associated with that processing um, com, comes into being at any point, why, why that would be.
1: Mm. Monica, I am so glad that you're exploring this topic and that you belong to a rare group of people that are, I think, entering the public awareness more and more that are capable of writing a New York Times bestseller and that are picking topics that other people just can't for their livelihood they can't touch. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful that you wrote this book. I Thank really, you. really hope that um, it in a very enjoyable way jars people out of their um, some of their intuitions and assumptions mm-hmm. um, because I really think that the base assumptions people make about their life and the way their mm-hmm. mind works. Holds so many people back from mm. living a life that could be far more enjoyable and include far less suffering. Yeah, um, I agree. but yeah, thank you. Yeah, it really, thank is you. wonderful, wonderful book. Um, where can people find you online? Where can they get um, your? Book? I'm
0: just my my name annakaharris.com a n n a k a harris.com. Um, my book is available everywhere books are. <laughs> um, but yeah, and the best way to find out about my work um, and, and other work that I do. Um, in addition to my book is it's all on my website. So nice. All
1: right. What is the impact that you want to have on the world?
0: Hmm. (laughs) I think bringing more awe and curiosity. I could probably I could stop I could go on but that that's that seems like a a good one Uh, Awe and curiosity. I think we can we can always have more of
1: and I will take that all day. All right, guys, trust me when I say that she brings the awe and the curiosity, and what a wonderful entrance into that world. I cannot recommend her work enough. It is really extraordinary, and hopefully, um, the success of this first book will get her to do more and more in this vein, I guess. Not first book, but first uh, book aimed at adults, so. Very excited by what she's doing. She has a children's book. Like I said earlier, I wonder. So be sure to check that out as well. And if you haven't already subscribed, be sure to do so. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.